0: Our scripture lesson today is taken from the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, reading verses 7 through 12 with particular attention to verses 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, beginning reading at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. As far as the reading of God's word, may He add His blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the table of the Lord is set before us, inviting us to come and participate in what has sometimes been called in the history of the church a love feast. An opportunity for us to celebrate and to remember the love of God for his people. Indeed, our scripture reading has affirmed, as scripture affirms in more than one place, God is love. God is love, and we are gathered to celebrate that love. But of course, there are people in the world... And sometimes people in church who question whether indeed God is a God of love. They look at all the misery in the world, and they have experienced misery in their own lives, and it makes no sense to them, and they question, how can there be such senseless suffering And yet God be a God of love. Well, indeed there is a lot of suffering in the world. I prayed for the tragedy in Beirut this past week. Indeed a terrible tragedy affecting thousands upon thousands of lives. Lives that will never be the same again because of what has happened there. And we don't have to look far away to the other side of the world to see tragedy and suffering. Almost every family represented here has someone who has suffered, suffered some great tragedy, whether it is a bereavement, sudden unexpected death, perhaps of a loved one, the grief of which haunts you for the rest of your life. We have all experienced suffering. And we too wonder sometimes, how do we reconcile that with God being a God of love? How can we come and celebrate love today in a meaningful way when, when there are so many instances where we, we wonder, is God a God of love? Well, how do we answer that? Well, the Scripture has an answer for us. First of all, the, the Scriptures in, encourage us... Uh, not to fall into the temptation of thinking that we can adequately stand in judgment of God. You know, it is the height of presumption for me to say, because I cannot see any sense in it, there is. No sense in it. Because I cannot see any sense in it. There can't be any sense in it. Who am I? Who am I to make such a judgment to say that, that I am in a position where I can, I can survey all that God has done and, and sit in judgment on it? God is a God of infinite wisdom. The creator of the heavens and the earth. God is the one who understands all the inner workings of, of human biology or the biology of the whole world. He, he, he understands about cells and atoms and nucleuses and, and DNA and RNA and all the, all the intricacies of, uh, of the molecular world, as well as understanding the, the stars, and the, the sun and the moon, the stars, the planets, the galaxies. He, he knows everything. You and I, we've been around for some decades, 20 years, 40, 60, 80 years. What gives us the right to think that with our finite and limited perspective, we can sit in judgment on an infinitely wise and holy God who has promised to work out Everything, including the painful circumstances of life, to work out everything for good for those who love Him. We must resist the presumptuous temptation to sit in judgment of God. Romans 9 verse 20 says, Who are you, O man? <laughs> to answer back to God. We're, we're not in a position where we can judge. We also recognize that if we give in to that temptation and reject God and declare ourselves atheists, we don't solve the problem of evil. in fact, the problem of evil becomes the the problem of the existence of evil becomes even greater for the atheist than it is for the Christian for the atheist still experiences outrage every time he or she hears of some great evil in the world, they say, oh, how terrible that is, and and, and that's so bad. And the the atheist makes moral judgments saying this is good and this is bad, this is right and this is wrong. But the atheist has no basis upon which to make moral judgments. The the atheist has no basis upon which to say this is good or this is bad, this this is evil or this is not evil. If you reject God, what are you left with? you're left with the fact that human beings are just the product of time and and chance and there's no difference between the life of a fly or a mosquito and the life of a human being and if if human beings act like animals who's to say that's bad because after all isn't that what human beings are in atheistic evolution we're just another life form on the planet with no more significance than a blade of grass, because it's, it's all meaningless. There is no God above to, to give meaning and, and to, to be an absolute standard of right and wrong. So, the atheist has, has no basis upon which to make any moral judgments at all, let alone be outraged at the existence of evil. Yet he is. You know, the Christian can say it's, it's rational, It makes sense that we can't understand an infinite God. But the atheist has to pick out all rationality in order to continue to make rational or moral judgments, ethical judgments. He can't do it. But if you want to explore more of this subject, I would recommend that you read uh, Tim Keller's book, uh, Reasons for God. He, He goes into the problem of evil and what the Christian answer to it is. But having recognized that God has a reason that we're probably not able to understand in this life, a reason for the pain and suffering, that's still not very comforting when you're going through pain and and questioning how God is showing love in your life. Does the Bible not say anything else? Well, yes, it does. And, And that's where I would direct your attention to our text that says, In this is the love of God manifested toward us. God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We sometimes miss the love of God because we're, we're looking for it in the wrong place. We think that the love of God ought to be expressed by making our life a bed of roses, by making everything come out sweetness and light, but... God has never promised that, has He? At least not in this life He hasn't. He has promised that for the life to come, for the new world that is coming. But He hasn't promised that in this life. In this life, Psalm 34, verse 15 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not just of the wicked, but of the righteous. Even righteous people, even people who are declared righteous through faith... He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. Peter, in his first epistle, says, now you have to suffer grief through all kinds of trials. And Romans 8 says that uh, the whole world groans, groans under the weight of the curse of God against the sin of the world. That's what we're taught to expect in this world. We're we're taught to expect suffering. So if we look for for the absence of suffering as the evidence of the love of God, we're looking in the wrong place. Where should we look for the love of God? Well, we should look for the love of God in dealing with the root cause of all suffering. The root cause of all suffering is sin. And God's love is demonstrated by dealing with human sin. Take it away so that indeed the curse might be lifted and that we might live under the blessing of God in a new world where there is no sin but only righteousness and peace and ever-increasing glory. This is the love of God. That was how God manifested that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That phrase, live through him, in our text, implies that without Christ, we would not live. Indeed, John in his gospel, in the best known verse of the Bible, says, God sent his son, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him might not perish that's the alternative. He, he sent his son that we might not perish, but that we would live. Those are the two alternatives. Either we perish because of our sin, because we are guilty before God and deserve to die because of our sin, or Christ saves us and through Christ we live. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all sinned. We have all earned the wrath of God, we have merited it, but God in his love sent his Son to deliver us from what we deserve. The second verse of our text says that this is love that, not that we loved him, but he, he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word that that we don't use often, propitiate. What does that mean? It means, well, to it means to appease, it means to placate, it means to conciliate, it means to smooth over. God is angry with you and me, justly angry with you and me, because of our sins. And his anger has to be turned aside, it has to be propitiated, it has to be smoothed over. And you and I can't do that. We can't smooth it over. We can't offer anything to God that will placate Him, that will will propitiate Him. We come to Him clothed in filthy rags with our sins, and, and the sight of us only increases His anger. But Jesus... Jesus is able to propitiate the wrath of God. He's able to offer to God a perfect sacrifice. One who is perfectly sinless and who offers to God what the demands of justice require. A blood sacrifice, a human life. He offers that to God and God accepts that and receives that on our behalf. He offered himself for us. And we, through faith, are credited with Christ's perfect righteousness and satisfaction. And therefore, God is not angry with us anymore. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God looks at us now and He's not angry, but He receives us as a Father who loves his children. We are received as beloved children for Christ's sake because Jesus has propitiated the anger of God, turned it aside. You know, in modern evangelicalism, it's usually, uh, the gospel is often perverted by saying that the the greatest obstacle to you experiencing the love of God, the, the greatest obstacle is the attitude of your heart, and if you would just change your heart, uh, God would love you. God, God is standing there. He wants to be your friend. Just let him be your friend. You know, you need to change, and, and then God will bless you. But our hearts do need to be changed, and we do need to, to turn to God. But in order for that to happen, we first have to have God's anger removed. And this is the love of God, not that we loved Him first, but rather He first loved us. Our hearts will never change unless He first loves us, unless God's anger is first propitiated, turned aside. After which He then sends the Spirit into our hearts, turn our hearts to Him to love Him and serve Him. Salvation is by grace which means it's not by merit. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gives it to us freely. We are the recipients of His benevolence, the recipients of His charity. That is insulting to human pride, but as long as you remain proud, you'll never know the love of God. We need to be humbled by the gospel and recognize that we need Jesus. We need what He has done for us. Turn aside the wrath of God. When we understand that, then we see the love of God. We look for the love of God in the right place. We we see the love of God at the cross. We see the love of God in the broken bread. We see the love of God in the poured out wine. Don't miss the love of God by looking for it in the wrong place. Look for it where God has shown it in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might live through Him, by sending His Son to propitiate His anger, so that we might become the beloved children of God. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of love. Please forgive us for often looking for Your love in the wrong place and and being angry and upset because You haven't shown Your love in the way we think You should. Instead, humble our hearts, O Father, and teach us to look for love at the cross, that we may see your love in the sending of your Son to be our Savior from sin. We thank you that you loved us even before we loved you, and that we love you only because you first loved us. O Father, help us now to celebrate that love as we come to your table. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.